I'm going to be preaching a, a message today that I had entitled, Why Grace? You know, there's a scripture that says that the Lord restores my soul. I believe it's, it's Psalms 23. That he, he leads me beside still waters and that he restores my soul. And your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. And that scripture, there's a promise of restoration to your soul. That God is the one who will restore it. I love that. Because I damaged before the Lord, and even sometimes after the Lord, I damaged my soul pretty bad. <laughs> I did. But there's a promise that God will restore our souls. That He will give us the will, the ability, and the desire, not only to be willing to do His will, but actually the power to do it. That's what grace is. And my opening verse is going to be found in Romans chapter 11. This is like the foundation verse, so just keep this verse in mind. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor, or who has first given to Him, and it shall be recompensed unto Him again? For of Him, and through Him, and to Him, are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. We can't offer anything to God unless He first gave it to us. That's why the Scripture just said, who has given to God, so it said that God should repay Him. And it says no one, no one has first given to God. For to Him, through Him, and for Him, all things exist. That means that in order for you to do anything for God, it first has to be given to you by God to then offer it back, what He gave you, back to Him. And we, first of all, call that a sacrifice of praise. That's what the Apostle Paul said. When he's talking about praise, he actually says that it's a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. That's what true grace is. True grace is dependent upon God for everything. I'm not trying to offer a sacrifice to God that He didn't first give me. Because from Him, to Him, and through Him, all things exist. So then my work goes out the window, and I have to accept the finished work of Jesus in order to actually bring something that is pleasing to the Father. And the reason why it's pleasing is because He gave it to me. But whatever He's going to give us, it's going to be in Christ. Amen? I went off my phone for my notes, so just bear with me. God is so good. We'll see how this works. Uh, just because He's good, you know? Amen. I'm learning. I enjoy learning. I don't think it as of it like a struggle or, you know, we can't make errors. The beauty of this Christian walk is that it is not flawless. That God has to accept me with all my flaws because He's the only one who's perfect. When you look at the children of Israel, before the law was instituted, God wanted to speak to all of them. They told Moses, you speak with him, for we're well able to keep all of his commands. They didn't even know that God was way above them. That if they wanted to keep God's commands, it would be impossible because God wasn't like them. God actually had to become like them so then they or us could become like Him. 
That's what he was going to do. But when they tried to cut it prematurely and said, we're able to be just like you and keep everything that you want. He said, you, you have no idea how far the apple has really fallen from the tree. They didn't. They thought they could do it. The law was instituted and come to find out none of them could do it. God in His mercy, because of their arrogance, but still in His mercy, gave them a sacrificial ritual to actually preserve life so that all of them wouldn't be killed. He gave them animals to sacrifice so the blood of those animals could cover them until He could bring in the Messiah, which was Jesus, that could actually wash all that away. And that's the thing. Our works can never equate us to God. It really did take God becoming a man so then a man could become like Him. It's through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus that we actually rise with Him. So why grace? Because there is no other gospel. There's not. There's not another gospel. We're going to go to Acts chapter 15. God is amazing. You guys are so loved. We're going to talk about salvation to start with. Acts 15.10 says, this is Peter, there were certain Jews which came down from Jerusalem unto Antioch and they commanded the believers there that they have to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. So Barnabas and Paul were sent by the church to the leaders in Jerusalem. So this is Peter standing up after the apostle Paul has already gotten there and given his presentation. So here he says, So now, why are you putting a heavy burden around the neck of the non-Jewish followers of Jesus? Are you trying to make God angry? And then listen what he says. We and our fathers were not able to carry that burden. The apostle Peter just called the law a burden because they realized that not only could they not do it, their fathers couldn't do it. That means that they followed the examples of their fathers. Every time they seen their father fail, they realized that he's not able to do it. And if it wasn't for these sheep and these oxen and these birds, we would all be dead. (laughs) And they would have. God in His mercy, despite the arrogance of man, It says, we and our fathers were not able to carry that burden. And then Acts 15.11, no, we believe that we and these people will be saved the same way. All right, listen, we believe that us and them will be saved the same way. So whatever he says next is the way that we're going to be saved. And he says, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved by grace through faith. That's found in Ephesians, which I will get there. I was listening to a message by Graham Cook, and listen to what he says. He says, the way we came into salvation is the way that salvation is sustained. We didn't go looking for God. He came looking for us. God always takes the initiative. Nothing first takes place in us that doesn't come from Him when we're born again. That is so awesome. Because the way that we come into salvation is the way that salvation is sustained. And when we come into salvation, we didn't work for it. No one worked for God to send Jesus. It was in the heart of God, not in the heart of man. Man crucified Him. 
But it was still in the heart of the father to send him, knowing that men would crucify his son. But the scripture says, had the princes of this world known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory because they didn't know who they were killing. The principalities didn't know who they were killing, that in killing this son of God, it would strip them of their authority and put us in position as sons of God and then put the rulers who were in authority under our feet. That's why they're so hostile. That's why they want to destroy the church. That's why the Christian is hated by the world because of false propaganda. And some of it's not even propaganda. Some of it actually is because the church has been known for hate instead of love. And it's only the love of God that can actually change a culture of hate to where they see us as something other than what they have been shown. And that's why I believe that this generation, I I had it in my spirit this week. I was telling my cousin Jesse this. The next seven months are going to be pivotal for what the Lord is going to do in the earth. And I do not know why. But even right now when I say it, my spirit bears so much witness with it. I don't know why. I just know that it's very important. And me personally, without direct revelation of why, I believe it's because this message of God's unconditional love, and not only His unconditional love, but His acceptance, it's because of Him that we have been accepted, that His acceptance of the worst people in their worst state, that this message of His real grace is going to go forward in such a way that when it picks up the momentum, it won't be able to be stopped by anything. That's what I believe that is coming. We're going to see a wave of this throughout the United States of America. We are. And I believe that this nation, right here, right now, is literally going to take this message into all the corners of the earth. That this message of God's unconditional love and a forgiveness that's not based upon what you're doing, but it's based upon what Jesus did. So why grace? I would ask you, why not? (laughs) And if you're working for something, what are you working for? Because Jesus finished the work. When he hung upon the cross, he said, it is finished. What does that mean? The requirement for sin was paid for. He received it in his self. And he didn't just take the past sins. He took the present sins and the future sins. And he took them to hell where they belong. And they're never coming back to get you. (laughs) It's the beauty of the gospel. All your sins he took to where they belonged in hell and they're not coming back to get you. They've been paid for. In the eyes of the Father, we're as innocent as the Lamb was. We received his righteousness and the Bible says that the gift of righteousness, it's a gift of righteousness. You can't work for righteousness. If it wasn't for the grace of God making us right with Him through the blood of His own Son, we would have no ability to be right in ourselves. It had to be a gift. Our right standing with God had to be a gift and it had to be given to us through His Son. Jesus couldn't mess up His Sonship. 
That's why we had to be put inside of Christ. Because now that we're in Christ, we can't mess up our sonship. Because we're in the one that sealed us in this place of sonship. Because we're in Him. We have access to God. So Peter said that, no, we believe that we and these people will be saved the same way by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ, then all of your circumstances are in Him as well. That's the beauty of it. If you can't be separated from the love of God, then none of your circumstances can be separated from the power of God. Because He's not working power outside of love. Nowhere in the Scriptures does it say God is powerful. It says that God is love. And because of His love, He demonstrates power. It's out of a place of love that He would choose to exercise any power towards us or in us. Listen to what He says in Ephesians. It's chapter 3. We'll start at verse 18. And I pray that you and all God's holy people will have the power to understand the greatness of Christ's love. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep that love is. Christ's love is greater than anyone can ever know. But I pray that you will be able to know that love. Then you can be filled with everything that God has for you. With God's power working in us, He can do much, much more than anything we can ask or think of. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all time, forever and ever. Amen. It says, with God's power working in us. But the verses right above that are talking about to know the love of God. Paul's praying for the church at Ephesus that they may know how high, how wide, how deep the love of Christ really is, that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. Because the love of God says, I accept you as you are. And I'm not trying to get you to change. That's the thing. When we come into Christianity, we have this mindset bent on changing people. But it's not our job to change them. And God isn't trying to change them. He's trying to kill us off in Christ. Literally, when we come to God, the old man dies. It's not about changing. God didn't want to change your old nature. He wanted to kill it and give you a new nature. And that new nature is the one that He put inside of you. So you can't even offer Him a new nature unless that old one's dead, but you can't get the new nature unless He gives it to you. Because from Him, to Him, and through Him, all things exist. You can't offer any, anything to God that He didn't first give to you. The reason I can offer Him the newness of life is because He gave it to me. Because the old man really did die. When I was born again, when the Holy Spirit came inside, actually when I was baptized with the Holy Spirit, it wasn't when I was born again. I was born again at a different time. But I was baptized with the Holy Spirit. It was a separate occasion. I remember the day. And when that hit me, that desire to want to sin was completely taken away from me. Not that I didn't sin. Listen to me. I didn't want to sin. And when I sinned, I hated it. But just previous to that morning, I was okay with it. Was I saved? I gave my life to the Lord. I was saved. 
I know if I would have died, I wouldn't have spent an eternity in a devil's hell. I wouldn't have. I didn't even have the understanding that I have now. But I was saved and that's all I knew. But when I was baptized with the Holy Spirit, I didn't want to sin like that. And even to this day, when I sin, it grieves me. Why? Because I'm scared of punishment? No, not because I'm scared of punishment. Not at all. But because it's contrary to my nature. My nature isn't sin. It has nothing to do with punishment. I've been born again, and it's a gift of God. Not by works, lest any man should boast. I can't boast in what I did to achieve my salvation. All I can say is that Jesus achieved it for me, and if I'm going to boast in anything, it's going to be the cross of Christ. Not in my own accomplishments. Not what I can do. That's what happens when unsaved people come to church. The church tries to change them instead of allowing the Word and the Spirit to transform them. That's what we need. It's a transformation. And it's done by grace. It wasn't because any of us ever went searching for God. God first came searching for us. And He came searching for me through a man named Mark Kesterman. You have a man or a woman in your life that God came looking for you in somebody else's skin. And you can point back and say, that was God. <laughs> because it's the Spirit in us. That out of our belly shall flow rivers of living water. You understand, if you've been in a desert your whole life, once you get the water, it's so refreshing. That's the state of the world, that they've lived in a desert. They have no peace. They have no rest. They have no security. They have no hope because they don't have God. God is the one who gives us all those things freely in the person of His Son. I love this. All of heaven is attracted to the Jesus in you. Mark's message, his last one, when he was talking about looking for Tyler among the sea of all the military graduates, and he was actually saying, where is my son amongst all those people? Where is my son? He sees all the people, but he's looking for his son. All of heaven is attracted to the Jesus in you. And, and it's like that. God is looking down. The angels look, are, are looking down, and they're saying, where's the son? Where's the son amongst the sea of people? Where's the son? And you know where he's found? Right in here. Like I said, all of us have a man or a woman who God came to us in skin, and we can point back and say, that was God. That was my contact point with the Father, but He came in a person. Amen. It's the significance that we have, the Holy Spirit residing inside of us, and all of heaven is attracted to the Jesus in us. Amen. By the grace, by the ability of Jesus, it was God's ability that saved us. It was His passion for humanity that caused Him to send Jesus. Like I said, none of us had anything to do with God's decision to send Jesus. It was already in the heart of the Father. I'm going to go to John chapter 1, verse 12. I just love this because the gospel is not a gospel of works. It's a gospel of grace. It is. And like Mark was talking about this morning, that this message of grace 
frees you from anxiety. It frees your heart to literally stay in a place of rest. And I honestly believe it's the only place where you can find rest. Because every place outside of grace is all works. And when you're working, you can't rest. That's why Jesus said to labor, to enter into my rest. And like me and Mark had a conversation one time and I was telling him, sometimes the hardest thing for me is to stay in that place of rest because we've been conditioned to work. That's what Jesus is talking about, to labor, to enter into the rest because once you're there, it's a fight to stay there because not only is the enemy, fellow believers are trying to talk you out of it, you know, usually, you know, the devil's real good at sending five or six people that think they know your situation to tell you about it, you know, and here you are trying to rest, trying to have faith in God, and all of a sudden they're trying to get you to work, to get into works. Maybe it's evangelizing more. Maybe if you do this more. Like I was talking to Mark, I mean, I understand evangelism and, and honestly believe God calls me an evangelist. So I would never speak against evangelism. But if it was up to most people today, the main message to the church would be evangelism. If God was to allow the majority of pastors, teachers, prophets to write one-third of the New Testament, it would have been about evangelism. Thank God he didn't because that wasn't the message that Apostle Paul carried to the churches. The message that the Apostle Paul carried to the churches was, this is who you are. That you're not under a religious system of works to attain God. He's been given to you in the person of Jesus. That it's all by grace. And he said that if you try to work for your salvation, or if you try to be justified by your works, he said Christ died for nothing. He's saying that when we try to work for what Christ paid for, you make his death vain. Whew. Now do you understand the scripture that says, whoever has trampled under feet the Son of God and treated the blood of the covenant as an unholy thing? Because they're trying to work for something that was given to them. Jesus worked, and He worked hard, and He worked right, and He did everything the Father told Him to do. It was pleasing to Him to do it, and it was pleasing to the Father that He did it. He worked to such an extent that He could be sleeping during one of the worst storms. That's exhaustion. The disciples actually thought they were going to die. The storm was so bad, they went and woke Jesus up and said, don't you care that we perish? That is exhaustion. He would show up at a place in the morning and wouldn't leave till nighttime because the Bible says He healed them all. He wouldn't send nobody away hungry. That was His work that we entered into. You can't add to His work. He worked hard those years so that you could rest these years. So that in Him, we could find a place where we're always loved, where we're always accepted, where eating the wrong fruit won't cut you off from God forever. He is the tree that gave us life forever. And God put an angel in front of the tree of life in the garden because He said, if they eat of it, they shall live forever. 
They weren't allowed to eat of it because the price hadn't been paid to redeem them. Once the price was paid, they could eat freely. And once we ate, we're now living forever. Amen. It's grace. I'm accepted as loved of the Father. When He looks at me, He looks at me through eyes of grace and mercy. He's dripping with love over us. He says, I want to show you my goodness. And if you haven't seen it in the person of my Son, you can't have it. There's three things that we have to believe in order to receive from God. First of all, we have to believe that He's good. Second of all, we have to believe that He wants us to have it. And third of all, that we have to believe that He's already provided us that very thing in Christ. Because that's what it says. That He who spared not His own Son, but freely gave Him for us all, how shall He not with Him freely give us all things? Freely give us all things. Freely give us all things. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believing you receive, receive is take, believing you took it when you prayed. Why? Because you believe that God is good, it was His will for you to have it, and that He's already provided it for you in Christ. That's why Jesus said, you no longer have to ask me for anything, but whatever you ask the Father in my name, He'll give it to you. Why will He give it to you? Because you ask the Father in Jesus' name, not in our name. That means when you present a name to somebody, and you're saying that I ask you in Jesus' name, it's for the reason of. This is the reason why I have a right to receive it. It's the name. I'm asking you in Jesus' name. He's the one that gave me the right to receive it. Not me. All things. Whatever we ask for in prayer, when we believe we receive them or take them, we shall have them. And like I said, you have to believe He's good. You have to believe He wants you to have it. That means you had to see it in Scripture. And you have to believe that He's already provided for you in Christ. That's what it says, all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. It doesn't say all the promises of God in you are yes and amen. It says all the promises of God in Christ. In Christ. That means what you need is going to be found in Him. And you have access to what you need because you're found in Him. He is the key that unlocked all of heaven for us. He's the pearl of great price that Mark preached about. And when He became the pearl of great price, we became it with Him. He's not the only pearl in the ocean anymore. Everyone He touched became just like Him with the radiance and glory of His Father. He came to give us the Father. That's why He came. You know that Abraham didn't choose God? Read the Scripture. The Bible says that the Lord appeared unto Abraham. <laughs> God appeared to Abraham. Abraham didn't appear before God, before God appeared to him. God made a covenant with a man to bless his lineage, to bring in the Messiah, and to take away the curse for all those who put their trust in him. He made a promise 
He said, for unto your seed. The Apostle Paul breaks that down in the book of Galatians. It didn't say seeds, but unto your seed, which is one. And if you read in Galatians, it says that Christ became a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon the tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through faith in Christ Jesus. The blessing that was upon Abraham's life that Abraham didn't work for. See, God didn't need Abraham and Sarah's works. All he needed was the faith. Faith in what? That he was good. That it was his desire to give it to them. And because of the covenant that he made with Abraham, because when he appeared unto Abraham, Abraham said, Lord, what will you give me, seeing that I go childless, and this Eleazar of Damascus is going to inherit everything I own? And God said that he was going to give him a promise of a child, that he was going to give him a child in his old age, and that this child would actually be his seed without number, literally as numerous as you can number the sand on the sea or the stars in the sky. He gave him a promise, made covenant with him. You know that Sarah and Abraham made a mistake with Ishmael because they were trying to add their work to the promise. They were trying to add their works to the promise. They were trying to help God. Maybe there's something we need to do. God didn't need them to do anything but believe that He was good. Just to believe that He was good and that He couldn't lie. And every time we try to add our work to God's promise, we literally come out of a place of rest and we always leave with an Ishmael. When God appeared to them, He said that Ishmael is not the one, that I'm going to give you a Isaac. It's the first time God named the name. And when we try to add our work to what God has already promised to do, we end up naming it and getting something wrong. And God has to come and still set us straight. Amen. Because it's grace. Even in Abraham's failure, it didn't take away the promise because Abraham wasn't under a law. There was no law instituted. God showed Abraham grace. And it was because of Abraham's faith. So why will you experience the grace of God today? It would be because of your faith. See, if God would deliver the children of Israel with such a great deliverance, and it wasn't because of anything they did, they grumbled and complained. They said, God took us out here to kill us. You know? It wasn't because they loved God so much. God delivered them with such a deliverance because He loved them so much. He was going to give them houses they didn't build and lands they didn't purchase, not because they were so good, but because He was so good. And if He was willing to do that, 
then, without the blood of Jesus, without the thing that actually set humanity right again, how much more will he do for us? That's why it's so strongly emphasized in Romans. You can read over it, but the moment you see it and it hits your heart, you'll see it, it'll light in you. Because he who spared not his own son, but freely gave him for us all, how shall he not with him also give us all things? If he would do that to a fallen man who wasn't right with him, how much more will he do it to a son that's been declared righteous through the blood of his own son, which bought us back, which redeemed us, from the hand of the enemy and has transferred us into the kingdom of His own Son. We've been given this place by the Father. There's no other gospel than grace. Why would the Father be good enough to save us, but not good enough to feed us, clothe us, or protect us, but just provide for us? He is good enough to do all that. What's our part in all of this? Simply believing. Why would He be good enough to save us, but He wouldn't be good enough to feed us, or to clothe us, or to protect us? His goodness and His love was demonstrated to us and shown to us through the person of Jesus. He who spared not His own Son. Everything else was secondary to the Son. He's the pearl of great price. God sent that pearl into this world to show us how much we are loved, how much we're valued. You didn't deserve the pearl. You didn't before you accepted Him. You don't now that you did accept Him. It was by grace. It was never because you deserved it or I deserved it. None of us deserved it. None of us still deserve it. I didn't work for it now that I'm saved. It's still a gift to me. And I understand David's mindset in Psalms 8. He said, Lord, our Lord, Your name is the most wonderful in all the earth. It brings You praise everywhere in heaven. From the mouths of children and babies come songs of praise to You. They sing of Your power to silence Your enemies who were seeking revenge. I look at the heavens You made with Your hands. I see the moon and the stars you created and I wonder, why are people so important to you? Why do you even think about us? Why do you care so much about humans? Why do you even notice us? But listen to what he says in verse 5. But you made them almost like gods and crowned them with glory and honor. We are the closest thing to the Father. We are. And God doesn't want anything from you that He didn't first give you. It's not your work that is pleasing to God. It was Jesus' work that was pleasing to God. The Father is pleased now when we rest in the Son, not our work. Because grace is the only thing that can quiet our hearts. Amen. So why grace? There's no other gospel. Amen. Lord Jesus, I just I thank you. I thank you, Father, that you are good to us. 
I thank you that it was always by your grace. It was always because you loved us. You sending Jesus was never based upon our love for you. It was based upon your love for us. And we couldn't even love you if you didn't love us first. We give back the love that you placed inside of us. It's only because you loved us that we can love you. We thank you, Father, for the revelation of your love for us, that it's unending, it never stops. You said that you've loved us with an everlasting love, and you said that I, the Lord, change not. You're not changing your mind about how much you love us, despite where we find ourselves. Whether we're on the mountain or whether we're in the valley, it doesn't matter because your love is consistent because you don't change and you never will. You made us righteous in your Son. You've blessed us with every gift in Christ. you seated us in heavenly places. And you'll never take away that position because of us. Because we didn't purchase it. You said that you're able to finish the work which you started in us. That you're able to finish the work that you started in us. We thank you that it's all by grace, Father. That it's not by my works. It's not by their works. That it's by your grace that we have this position at the table. That we've been seated as sons and daughters. We just thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. And we thank you for everything you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.